That's right, and welcome back to Comics Exchange, your friendly neighborhood podcast. Your spooky neighborhood. Ooh, that's yes. right. I'm the mutilator, Mike D. That's a good wrestling name. That would be oh, a great not bad, not yeah. bad. Yeah. To my left, we have the Ripper, Ryan Shipley. I like it. Well, it sounds like either I'm ripping, killing people, or I'm like doing a lot of farts. So I'm not, hmm. I'm not sold on it yet. Well, you're not here ripping people off. We know that. That's good. Yes. We have the owner of Knoxville's longest-running comic shop, Bill the Lasher Langford. Because of my lashes, right? Yeah. Yeah, was, I was struggling with your name. I'm they're sorry. kind of distracting. Every episode, it's hard. I don't think it lost in them. Well, I appreciate that, Ryan. I'll, yeah. I'll make sure to make some eye contact with you. My Art. discomfort is growing by the minute. <laughs> yes. Oh, and whose voice is that we just hear? It's our special guest, mm. Frank and Fred Daly. Yeah. Oh, it's great to have him. The craziest thing, I yeah. think this is... The third time we've recorded a podcast with Fred, but the first time that we're going to hear it. That's right. I think is that. Ooh. Or we recorded two at the old store, right? Yeah, 2019. I think that's where also where you didn't take them to Shoney's that night. Oh, is that the famous Shoney's night? This is an issue that's going to come up repeatedly tonight, <laughs> you listeners at home. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, but no, we uh, did. I think Fred was the one. It was me, you, and Fred. And then I think there was another one. It was like. You, me, Fred, and Ratliff, I believe. That's right. I forgot about it. Yeah, me yeah. and Fred were talking about that earlier. Yeah, yeah, That was yeah. the one that was too hot for TV. They were too Ooh. hot for TV. Like they, the, definitely the Ratliff one, right? He, yeah. You couldn't, I, you couldn't edit all those out. There was no, just no way. I think it would be interesting for the people that hear, like, what we did this, the family-friendly uh, comics exchange. And then we had comics exchange after dark. It was like comics exchange after dark. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we're glad to finally have you on an episode. And I can tell you right now, if something happens tonight and this episode gets erased, that's going to be crazy. What? That's, that's going to be a sign. Oh, I see yeah. what you're saying. Why would yeah. you? I've ne they've never been erased. Why would you? Oh, I'm so I'm so good about not erasing episodes. It's like my specialty. Man, but it's good to have you, Fred. Well, I'm I'm glad to be here. Always glad to always glad to hang out with you guys. Oh, yeah, you've been sure. uh, yeah. kicking it around the old comic scene for quite a while, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I, I've been been around for a long time. I was the first person who introduced uh, Bill to uh, the Bookface. And got the got the comic exchange online. Oh, that's oh. right. Yes. You were his first social media. Uh, yeah, I did it for about nine. Was it nine years? Nine years, ten years, and then I think so because then we had the that transition. Then we went to we had like, COVID. Yep. And then I settled in in 2022. Yeah. So I mean, it was like something like through 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's cool is my introduction to Fred was. When I was a student over here at UT, and I would pick up the Daily Beacon, which was the the campus newspaper, Fred Named after him. Fred had a strip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember that. It, I completely forgot about I wanna that. I want to say it was called Spaceman Ted, or it was Gordon and Spin, and then it was Spaceman Ted, and okay. then uh, I, I had a strip in there for like four or five years, back when it was the eleventh largest newspaper in the state of Tennessee. Oh, <laughs> wow! Okay. Not, now, not counting, but and now and now now I think they publish like once a week if they do. So that. probably now there are probably three. <laughs> yeah, the probably third left. place right no, now. I mean, only you, three papers I mean, left. You yeah. got Memphis, Nashville. Yeah, the Sentinel. New Sentinel's kind of holding on. Tri Cities is probably up there. Chattanooga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might be. I think we might have cracked the top. Is seven. the Penny Saver still around? Is yeah, it full I, thing? I'm not sure. Dude, I'm a, I, I go so far back. It's the. It was the Metropulse. Oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. I remember the Metropulse. Oh, yeah. That was Metropulse was great. Was Metropulse the one that would come out like um, weekly or every or biweekly? Came and out. Came out weekly. It was a big square. When originally yeah. it came out, it was a tabloid. Then it shrunk down to a square, and then uh, I think there's a there's a Metropulse esque 
paper that comes out like once every two weeks now. And it had that guy that would always write really cool historic. Uh, Jack Neely. Jack Neely. And I think a lot of his stuff, a lot of his stuff got lost in time when Metropolis got bought out and yanked everything off the web. That's unfortunate because, yeah, he would write these incredible articles about the secret history of Knoxville. Yeah. Like stuff on Gay Street that had happened back in the 1800s or a fire that happened in an old warehouse. He comes to Maple Hall to speak on those things once a month. Does a little, oh, uh, little oh, does showcase. Yeah. Look at there. Well, good for Jack. Uh, is that usually go. like uh, one day a, a month? You know what? It's uh, usually on a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's awesome. Should, of, uh, an older you should crowd. finally have that episode you've mm-hmm. been talking about for years. Where Which we one? talk about the secret history of comics in Knoxville where we go through and tell all the horror stories. <laughs> We've oh, told I've, some horror stories. We have listened to them. Yeah. But, no, we <laughs> haven't got to the really good stuff. Oh. But since this is a Halloween episode, episode we'll see if we can pull one out for you yeah Ooh, okay nice. nice no it's uh knoxville's had a long and lustrous history of comic book stores and um some of the stories uh about some of the stores are pretty interesting yeah so we I, we can definitely tell one tonight as uh if the if the mood strikes us okay yeah we high, might because the um, witching hour because we're, we're gonna uh yeah. news we killed the it's news light, last week it's a news super week. yeah it's a super light week i think honestly one of the only real big news stories is from something that actually we just did not talk about on the last episode. Is that right, Mike? <laughs> it was the uh, the new publishers, right? Yeah, the uh, new publishers. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. Ghost. Oh, and it's appropriate for this episode, Ghost Machine. Bing. Yeah. There it is. Um, so Ghost Machine is going to be, it says it's the first of its kind, creator-owned and cooperative uh, media company, uh, and it launched during uh, Comic-Con. Um, a lot of big names on this. Gary Frank, uh, Brian Hitch, Jeff Johns, Francis Manipule, Brad Meltzer, Peter J. Tomasi, just to name a few. Wow, yeah, that's a huge lineup, actually. It really is. Yeah. And you said this is going to be published through Image? Yep, they're publishing it through Image. Uh, the company launched with four shared universe of character-centric titles, including oh, Geiger, Redcoat, Rook, dot, dot, Exodus, and the Rocket Fellers huh. uh, is going to be the plan. Um, I think it's going to be that a lot of these, they say here, all creators will be exclusive to Ghost Machine for their comics work after completing their already committed to projects. Really? So for Jeff Johns, huh. it's going to be about 2026 when <laughs> yes, he finally right, finishes right. that Justice Society yeah. book he's on. Yeah, it's like every every month you're like, oh man, we're going to finally get an episode issue this month. And then it's no. like, psych. No. Actually, yeah. that might, going to Image, I mean, it'll be good because it'll be a nice retrospective back on how Image used to publish originally back yeah. in the day. <laughs> and I wonder yeah. if it's a little bit, it's like this is where you, because um, Jeff Johns did Geiger, right? And Junkyard, Junkyard Joe, Joe. Mm-hmm. and they seemed like they didn't have the problems that he had with like Shazam or JSA. Yeah, so I think he's probably more incentivized to do the creator-owned work, right? Since mm-hmm. he owns all of it, whereas yeah. the work for hire work, he's just cashing a paycheck. You know, if he misses the deadline, eh? You know, it's not that big a deal. It's not my not my project. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think there's a I don't think there's a lot of focus right now on his projects at DC anyway. Uh, they there seems to be something going on there. Yeah, all, all over the place because it's like he's a name, but at the same time, it's like he's person non gratis. Also, at the same time, it's really kind of weird. What, yeah. what happened to Jeff Johns? I well, remember he was just at the top of I, his game. It takes usually a long so, time for a creator to fall off. He it, just went right off a cliff. It does, and I, unfortunately, I think part of it had to do with the the like the middling success of the DC movies because Jeff had gotten oh, appointed. That's right. To where he was like the Hollywood liaison between the comics and the movie industry, which sounded like a great idea at yeah. the time. It, it did, and especially because Jeff is very reverent 
reverential of DC's Silver Age and DC's history. And he showed that uh, the show he produced, uh, Stargirl. Yeah, that he did Stargirl's the three, a great. I love that show. CW. It was a great show. It was. Yeah, you could tell the Jeff Johns DNA in that show. If you're if mm-hmm. you're wanting to read a really good Jeff Johns series that's come out recently, go back and get that Stargirl and the Lost Children. Mm-hmm. It was okay. like a six, a six issue series came out. I think there was even a delay in that when the last couple issues. Uh, the first four came out pretty much rapid fire, and I right. think there was like a month delay or something like that. Yeah. I think now at this point in DC, uh, Joshua Williamson is their new Jeff Johns. I'll no. take it. <laughs> no, he's not. Oh, corrected. What do you think? Do you think it's somebody else, or do you just no? Just I, I don't think Joshua Williamson is is even close to the to the of Jeff talent? Johns. Okay, no, no, I'm oh. just saying as far as like this is who DC is putting like all their stuff on. Yeah, like kind of like the DC house writer. Yeah, because he. I uh, think he has. He I think final Infinite Crisis or whatever that was. I can't tell you because it was completely forgettable. And then uh, what was the what was the two months that we that DC lost? Well, we've talked Night about Terrors. I, I mean, Terrors was about yeah. it. But his Superman is really good. Superman's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think that's what I'm saying. He's their new writer that they're basically putting so much stock into. Right. Where Jeff Johns basically ran DC for quite a few years. There. He did. But I think that's what it is. He's kind of falling Might be off. His association and to with more. Dan Didio. Because they were pretty tight, weren't they? I think so. And yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So and it might be one of those things with Didio out of out of the company. Maybe it's he's lost lost some favor. Maybe I mean this is all speculation. We yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah, that no. makes sense to them. Yeah, it's just like whatever they do, it, they didn't drop the ball with Jeff Johns like Bendis, who I assume at one point Bendis will be back at Marvel. Oh, you think so? His DC run was not that good. His it DC like run was terrible. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. Uh, ooh. Um, I think it's because he Bendis does better with street level characters. Well, I'll never forgive him for aging up John Kent. That that's something that is just a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. I, I think that whole thing was he was you know I, I think he was so excited and so passionate to come over there, and I honestly mm-hmm. don't think there was an editor to stop him. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was because, you know, he's Bendis, he's had all the success, and... He went unchecked madness! Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's it's DC Comics. They're so desperate... They, sorry, they were so yeah. desperate for traction. Right. The, the the new had worn off Rebirth. Right, right. Um, and things were starting to kind of slide sideways, and they wanted to get that sales bump, and, I mean, I don't even think he made a bump on Superman. I think the first issue of his Man of Steel, number one, went pretty high, and then I think... If you look at the way that tracks, I think it drops down to just being a middling title by the end of that six issues. And then with action and Superman, it was just... You could tell that at the store because Bill, it was a it was a weekly series, right, when it was coming out. The Man of Steel stuff yeah. was, yeah. And Bill would have her, like, he wouldn't have any one or two, but you could still get the rest of them if you wanted to. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the name on there that really kind of surprised me, because I don't think he's done... A comic book in decades was Brad Meltzer because I yeah. think the last thing he did was in that's Identity of a, Crisis, right? That's more of a media thing because I mean, he came, Meltzer came on. He did that little brief run on Green Arrow mm-hmm. after Kevin Smith, which yeah. was a great run. Green yeah, Arrow, great, yeah, it was a great yeah, run. Yeah, yeah. But he did that and then Identity Crisis. He did Identity Crisis, and I think he also hand, didn't he handle those issues of Justice League. That kind of came out around the same time. He did some Justice League issues, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, he I think he's more for the media part because I don't even. I mean, I don't think he's written a comic in, like you said, over a decade. That, yeah, that's a good point a because uh, part of that announcement, as we just heard, that he said it was media and comics. So that was one of the media things it does say here in this article. They're looking at it's the development of Paramount TV to do a uh, Geiger series. 
Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, if Paramount TV is still around at that point. Paramount TV is one of those uh, streamers that's having a lot of problems right now. They're finding you can't survive on just Yellowstone alone. <laughs> so, <laughs> Eventually, the Yellowstone runs out, right? Yeah, well, when yeah, Kevin yeah. Costner refuses to let them to make any more episodes before the, the actors and writers strike. But the other thing is, the winner of all of this... Okay, this has nothing to do with comics. But the winner of the streaming war so far is Sony, who decided not to go out... Yeah. and start their own streaming platform. They just said, you want to license stuff from us? Mm-hmm. We'll take money. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so Sony is like the only studio that's really coming out of this going, this is going pretty good Yeah, they us. partnered with uh, Netflix. Okay. Like, Across the Spider-Verse is coming to Netflix on the 31st. The Sam Raimi movies are already on Netflix, yep. and then, I'm sorry, Andrew Garfield? I believe so, yeah. Those two movies are over yeah. there, and so I'm trying to figure out how they're going to wrestle. So Sony's basically the using Tom Netflix. Like, mm-hmm. Sony's using Netflix like they kind of do, uh, like the other ones where their studios will go, hey, mm. uh, here's Transformers is on Paramount right. now. So Sony does all their stuff on Netflix, which is, like you said, it's a brilliant idea because a lot of these companies are starting to realize, like, uh, Peacock now is kind of regretting on Friday, uh, Five Nights at Freddy comes out, mm-hmm. and it's shaping to it's like it looks like it's going to do okay at the box office but what's going to hurt it is they had made the deal because they were hurting for streamers that it's releasing day of on uh on peacock huh i think that i think the story that's going to tell the tale for a lot of this stuff as far as the movies is going to be the marvels now i know people i know people are looking at that and it's like oh it's it's trending it's trending lower than it should trend mm-hmm. yeah but i mean i think the reality of the situation is is we're about to see hollywood do an about face from these 300 million dollar movies yeah. right uh and especially with the comics i think they're going to have to kind of go back to the source material i think especially disney's kind of lost their way a little bit and to the point where it's like you yeah, know we can just write our own stories it's like yeah the good stuff that you did back in the earlier part mm-hmm. of the mcu you were drawn off pretty solid core material. And I, I think you need to go back to that. Yeah, I think this fourth phase four, was it? Mm. They kind of lost their way a little bit. They're just too sprawling. Um, I think, honestly, maybe these uh, these strikes, like we mentioned last week, where they pulled the plug on now. It's like, what, this Daredevil series is going to be? Mm-hmm. Right. This has given them time to kind of reevaluate and course correct. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's that's what happens here. Because I think everybody at this table, we want good product. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I think, too, the studios are realizing spending $300 million on a Indiana Jones movie yeah. was foolish because if that movie was $100 million less, it would have made money. Yeah, because well, once you spend $300 million making the movie, you're spending another $200 million on promotion. Marketing, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's now you're in for half a billion dollars. Well, you have to say, for this movie to make money, we have to hit a billion. Yeah. I, I think it's I think it's too much too, too quickly as well. I think yeah. there's no... There's no impetus to drive the audience in there to get it. And it's mm-hmm. like one of the, you know, it, if they let Jeff Johns write these movies, they would only come out every three years. <laughs> therefore, uh, and then therefore people would actually be excited when they come out. Just like an issue of Justice Society. Jeff, if you do listen to the podcast on the off chance, <laughs> if you could please go pound those keys and just finish up the story, we'd like to see what Ghost Machine's going to do yeah. eventually. And there's something I suspected might happen in the multiverse saga, as they're calling it. And it seems to be coming to fruition, which is that... I think that people get the perception off of the multiverse is that Marvel has ran out of ideas to a degree. Like, oh, you, you spent all your stories with Thanos now, and now that's all done, mm-hmm. and now you're just doing copies of copies of copies of characters, and it seems like, creatively, that might give people the impression they ran out of steam a little bit. Yeah. It seems like that might be happening. Yeah. I feel like a lot, I, I feel like it's almost like some people think it's too, it's a holding pattern right now. Well, it, Waiting yeah, until the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. Yeah. I, I think it's, you get those writers in a room, and I think groupthink takes over, and I think they get all excited because here's this new toy for them to play with mm-hmm. yeah and, and and here we go 
and it's like I think now with with seeing like you guys said with the strike actually giving them a pause whether they wanted it or not and you would have to be blind and deaf not to see the audience not reacting yeah. the way you want them to mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where Blade gets pushed to this time this will be like the fourth or fifth time <laughs> oh lord it was, uh, started, it was going to be a TV series then it went to a movie and then it went speaking of pushed cursed. out pushed well, out yeah I think so far we've only had Blade Blade's voices at the very end of Eternals he talks to Black Knight right but you know what hopefully Everything gets course corrected, mm. and at least Marvel can say they're in a better position than DC's cinematic universes right now. Absolutely, and I think we mentioned this last uh, podcast is if my option is either to get subpar material now on time, yep, or to wait and get improved material where Marvel goes back and they're like, okay, this isn't working, it's not testing well, let's change it. I'm excited that they are course correcting because otherwise yes, it would yes. just be a cash yeah. grab, right? They wouldn't care about the quality. They would yeah. just put it out now and just get what they could get. Yeah. So the fact that they're willing to go back and do this, I think it, it bodes well long-term because it means that Marvel doesn't want to kill the Golden Goose, right? Yeah. And Marvel wants to have this go for a long time, or Disney wants to have this go for a long time. Yeah, and it's no fear of like not having stuff to entertain yourself with until those movies come out or the video games or whatever. There is so much media out there now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Before you move on into the core of this episode, which yes. is going to be, I'm excited for it. We are doing a sale this weekend. So we are. Yeah. And I think we did it last year too, didn't we? Yep. Um, it's our basic, it's our, uh, basically it's our Halloween sale. Yep. And uh, it's going to start this uh, Saturday, the 28th so through what the, the 31st. And with the companies, at least Marvel and IDW, what they've been generous enough to do is to ship us a bunch of free comics to pass out in lieu of candy. However, Ron complained about the no candy policy, so we've changed that. <laughs> I, I think I'm for the people. We'll be yeah. passing out candy and comics. Yep. Uh, You're for the Starburst. Yeah. The people are just secondary. Uh, <laughs> Definitely the pink uh, ones. It looks like it's Captain Marvel. There's, yeah. a, there's Cooking Monsters, Fighting is Amazing. Friends, Dark Spaces, Scott Snyder, Dark Spaces, Moon Knight, reprint of Amazing Spider-Man, the first issue of the new run, and uh, Star Wars High Republic, Attack of the Huts are going to be the, um, and that's just off the top of my head. Yeah, it's pretty Um, impressive. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. And the sales for people who don't remember last year, buy two, get one free on all back issues, buy two, get one free on all trades and hardbacks. Nice. Uh, 20% off all figures, statues, and Funko Pops. Of which there are many. Yes. And, of course, the free books from Marvel and IDW, mm-hmm. you do not have to make a sell to get those. You can just come in and you know with your kids and pick up some uh, candy and some free books. If you have not been into a comic book store in the last couple of years, and a lot of people haven't, come out, check it out, pick up some free comics, mm-hmm. take advantage of the deals if you if you are a regular uh, comic book fan, but come out and support your local comic shop if, if you're listening to this someplace out outside of uh, our store zone or anywhere else support your local comic shop this Halloween Um, they're there for you 365 days a year this is just a great chance to come by and take advantage of some free stuff to sample their wares so that's the good news is that I think most stores are participating in the uh, the free comics yeah Uh, the sales it just depends it varies from store to store but to my knowledge I think most of the stores in Knoxville are gonna be passing out uh, Halloween comics all day I did have one last little bit of news before we move Uh-oh. on, uh, and that's that I beat Armored Core 6 last night, so I need to see a little bit of respect what? around here these days. Let's show that respect. Put some right. respect on Mike's name. Now, that's right. a game where it's from software, right? It is. And they're the Dark Souls and all that, the traditionally super tough games that yes. Ryan just nopes out of. That's right. I had yeah. I had no idea that it was a game, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you regardless. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. This seems to be a monumental achievement. It is. Yeah. Aha. Yeah. I had a question. Let's hear it. 
That's, uh, I listen to the show when I edit it, so technically it's a listener question. I think. Oh, thank you for joining us on this episode. Oh, yes, way. yes, thank you. Thank very, you. very nice. Uh, let's say Good that back. someone, uh, we've uh-huh. talked about slabs in the past, encasing the book in plastic for value. Um, let's say that I've got a few books laying around and I want to get them slabbed for value. What's the process there? What would one go about to slab a book? So you have two options, and slabbing is basically where you send it in to a third-party authenticator and they, they grade the book. They encase it in hard plastic. Who's the big one that people do so for the slabbing? CGC is probably the biggest one. Comics okay. Guarantee Company. Okay. Uh, there's also CBCS. Don't ask me what that stands for. <laughs> um, but th- both of them can do it. And uh, so you would either have to do one of two things, Mike. You'd either have to open up a CGC account, a personal account, okay. which I think they charge like a yearly membership, almost like a, uh, a book of the month club. Okay. okay. But um, what they'll do, though, if you do get the membership is they'll give you four free gradings let's oh. say so you'll recoup let's say if the membership costs you a hundred dollars a year you'll recoup a lot of the cost just by using the four free gradings oh yeah definitely um or if you don't want to sign up for a monthly membership at cgc you can take it to most comic book stores most comic stores like we're a cgc authorized dealer here okay um so if somebody brought a book in here uh we could sit it in for them get it graded they also have an option where you can press the book which is like if the book has a bend or a fold in it, they'll uh, they'll take like a t-shirt press and they'll flatten the book for you, get the defects out. Hmm. And that kind of also would up the rating you'd probably get on the book. Right. So depending on the book, like a lot of the older books, just the difference in going from like, let's say an 8.0 to a 9.0, it can be hundreds of dollars. Right. Yeah. So to spend, let's say 25 or $30 to get the book pressed, if you're going to be able to recoup a hundred two hundred dollars you know it's a no-brainer this sounds like a great actual future episode where i can come here and debate (laughs) well so some people some people don't like grading books okay some people they're they're fans of keeping the books in their natural state actually be surprised that Mm -hmm. i actually have filled a graded cg box full of cgc books i have actually what and yes i know gone over to the dark side (laughs) (laughs) i did want to like the shiny plastic but i did yeah for people that wanted do this as like an right. investment it's the investment is more to get it slabbed than than to not get it slabbed right like the value right so if you if you are viewing it more of an investment then i would recommend getting it slabbed if it's something that you know you love you think you may want to read again yeah. at that point you know having a book slabbed it'd be like the equivalent of having a chair that you can never sit in again or having well, a tv uh, that you can't watch but yeah, i mean yeah, but yeah. here's um, but here's the great thing about slabbing i will say this in its mm-hmm. defense is it's an impartial agent grading the comic mm-hmm. not like uh not to throw bill under the bus but if if bill's the if bill's the dealer and i'm the customer yeah um you know when bill's going to grade the comic he might now bill doesn't do this bill actually is one of the best graders i've ever worked with but oh. some some dealers could feather it you know hey it's a it's a fine but i'm going to feather it to very fine to get that extra money out of it kind of like okay. a, a butcher putting his thumb on the scale yeah oh yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. so when you buy a cgc book there's no there's no discussion it is whatever the grade says it is right so you're not able to like if you get a grade and you feel it's not it wasn't fair you can't like you can crack it and send it back but oh, that's all you can do you can't yeah. right so yeah you have that option of, of sending it back in and suppose- you can't appeal to them well, supposedly, since each book is anonymous, they don't know that the book you're sending back that they've already graded if you crack it out of the case. Oh, okay. Uh, it's not like they don't serial number it or anything. They, they serial number the, the case. case. Oh. But they can't, they can't really, they don't track the books themselves. Gotcha. So how do you price it? So if I, if like, let's say I came in with the Hobgoblin first appearance. Yes. And I, and I handed it to you and said, I need to get this graded. Right. How would you, what would I pay? 
for something like that. Oh, you'd pay a lot, Ryan. <laughs> a whole bunch. Nice. No. Um, <laughs> so they they what they have they have different tiers and they they base it by the age of the book and the value of the book. So two okay. different tiers. Yeah. So if the book is before 1976, I think they charge a higher price. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then if the book is worth more than $400, they charge a higher price. And it's like the key item and stuff like that too. I guess we go into it. Like if it's a first appearance or yeah, they'll, they'll make a little note on the case. They'll say like first appearance of Wolverine or um, death of Colossus. Oh, that's in, cool. in your case, Ryan, because yeah. I actually have that book, Amazing Spider-Man 238 slabbed. Nice. Yeah. I didn't have Here the tattoo. Oh, yeah. This is an interesting one. Where I didn't have the tattoo, so they gave me a restored status and gave me an 8.0, which is the max they'll give it. Really? So, so I'm, I'm assuming like a ta- temporary tattoo came in the book or something? Yeah, it was like it in an issue of Fantastic Four. I think it was 252. Yeah, I uh, think so. These tattoos came out, came out and uh, I, I picked it up from a guy, and he was so disappointed because he's like, oh, the tattoo wasn't in there, and it's an 8.0. It's right. a beautiful book. The only thing it's missing is Tattoos. the tattoo, mm-hmm. which... I don't want in my book anyway because the chemicals are in there. Now this oh, is now, yeah. now hold on. This is where we get to personal preference. Yep. You're gonna have the nine eight folks. You're gonna be like, I don't know who this man is. He's an idiot. You want the tattoo in the book? <laughs> you're gonna be people like me who are gonna be like, I just want it because the hobgoblin, just like you, is yeah. one of my favorite Spidey villains. Yep. I wanted the book. Hulk one eighty one is another one like that, right? Where it had the it stamp had in it. Marvel value stamp for uh, Shaun of the She Devil. Yep. And so a lot of people, would, they would cut the stamps out there trying to collect all the Marvel value stamps. And yep. at the time, they didn't realize that the 181, the Hulk 181 they're cutting into was also the first appearance of Wolverine. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say it's like one of those things where if you think of it, it's going to be a value or just want to have it like protected like that. Right. That's when you would want to slap it. Yeah. Like some people, the, the book's kind of almost falling apart in their hands. They they put it in the case and get it slabbed because they figure it won't deteriorate any further once I put it in the case. I can handle it and I don't have to worry about chips falling off or but if you're like Fred and you read a lot of your back issues Fred's a wild man yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Uh, hold on hold on a second all I'm saying is again there's going to be a Halloween sale so you can come get that book that you want to have slabbed come buy two trades get one free and then you could have a copy to read are we considering the the slabs back issues right Fred's a smart man absolutely all the slabs are back issues yeah yeah and you have uh, if you were looking for something to get slabbed Bill has a lot of really cool key issues behind the desk. Matter of fact, I see that Hobgoblin one back there. I see it too. I know you've been And I'm not got my birthday present yet. What? (laughs) What are you saying? The slabbing, how long does the process usually take? Like if, like if I came out, came out today and sent it off, how long does it usually take to get it back? Right now, they've decreased the turnaround time drastically. So I'm getting them back in about four to six weeks, five to six weeks. Oh, wow. Which is amazing because during COVID, it was like a year, right? It was crazy. 18 months, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Especially if you had it pressed. Now, still, if you have it pressed now, that, that does increase the time to about four months, I think. But compared to where it was during the pandemic, where it was almost a year and a half. Now, with the two companies that do the slabbing that we mentioned, mm-hmm. is there a preference with the collectors as far as so like what's going to be the most value? The CGC ones will sell for about 20% to 25% more than the CBCS ones will. Uh, okay. now Just I'm, because they're kind of considered the industry standard. I'm going to play devil's advocate. I like the CBCS cases better. I think Ooh. they feel more solid and secure, hmm. and there's less uh, radio glare um, right. in the cases. But now, to each their own, I would recommend to anyone who's listening to this, don't let the four of us... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell you everything you need to do. Do your research. Make sure this is what you want to do. Look more into what the pressing process is like. If you've got a buddy with a t-shirt press and they don't know what they're doing, they're going to destroy your valuable treasure. (laughs) So make sure you use a reputable presser. Talk to your local comic shop who they would use to press their things. Mm -hmm. 
and see who they have a better deal with. I mean, if you're just wanting to preserve the comic, uh, it might be a situation where CBCS might be maybe a slightly more affordable. They are. Yeah, for me, I uh, I want to get some slabbed, but I hate the idea of breaking a run. Like, if I'm going to sell Immortal Hulk, I want to go on eBay and sell Immortal Hulk 1 through 50. I don't want to sell Immortal Hulk 3 through 10, then 14 right. through 16. You know, breaking those up, that's annoying to me, so it's a balance for sure. I recently put together a TMNT run. Ooh, did you? Uh, Eastman and Laird. <gasps> uh, it was a fourth mm. printing, number one. Uh, third printing, number two. Second printing, number three. Three, I went after 9.4s oh, uh, because wow. uh, this is my whole thing, and I'll, I will be quiet after this, I promise. <laughs> um, 9.8s, in my opinion, they're great, but I think they're the price is overvalued. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a 9.6 is is really solid. I think that actually is closer to its actual price it'll book at, and you, you can pull it up in um, right. the Overstreet. But a 9.4, which is still considered a near-mint comic, yeah is undervalued for what it is. And since I've got what I want, I now have no problem telling the rest of you, Fred recommends a nice 9.4, 9.6. Don't (laughs) fall in love. And and, and the other thing I'll say is this. If you see a 9.8 and you see a 9.6, but the 9.6 presents better, Mm -hmm. and that's what matters, you might want to consider that as well. Mm -hmm. Trust your eyes. Okay. No, Fred's absolutely right, and it's crazy because sometimes the price delta between the nine eight and the nine four will be insane. Right, right. It'll be like you could buy nine eight of let's say that number one fourth printing, and it might be a thousand dollars, but that nine four you might be able to get for two hundred and fifty dollars. Dang! And they're wow. both going to be very pretty books. So when he yeah. talks about a nine four, nine fours are going to look very, very nice. Now, one of your best graded books, mm-hmm. uh, just to wrap up the slap thing, yeah. was a Transformers number one, right? So I hmm. did. I got a uh, Transformers number one from the 80s series that came back a 9.9. Wow. Yeah. And there's only, at the time, there were three on the census that were 9.9, and I think mine was the fourth. Wow. Um, I've never gotten a book that had a 10.0. I mean, I know that they're was, out there. I've seen them. That was my next did question. Did they do uh, some flair on the 10? They, they uh, gold. It's cool if they would have sent, like, you know, the guy with the big check, you know, and he's <laughs> he delivers your 10.0. No, he knocks on the door and hand delivers it but what they do the 10.0s do have going for them is that it can be just a common comic it didn't have to be anything special it could be supergirl issue 82 and if it's a 10.0 it'll be worth at least a couple hundred dollars just because it's a 10.0 there's there's yeah nothing has to happen in the book it could just be a random issue of image wildcats number 16 don't they do like a double check if it gets a 10 so they have three people that 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 grade the book and oh, they, wow. they grade it independently of each other. So there's three guys or three women, and they're all in three different rooms. They don't sit together. One person grades the book. They send it to the second person. They grade the book. The third person grades, and then they do a uh, an amalgamation of the. So if you so if you're looking at a ten o, that means three different people have had to look at that comic and and so certify. one of them one of them could have said a nine nine if they average two, it because they average it. So if okay. the other two said ten point oh and one says nine nine, you're going to get a. 10. The Russian judge all, is the one that's going to be the hardest. Just take all the just take all the just take all the beauty out of it, Bill. No, your comic is nothing but perfection. Well, what is, what's the difference in a nine nine and a ten? I wonder. What so that's what the, I'm saying. It's, and it's crazy to pay the difference because the difference between nine nine and ten is about three x probably or four x. I, I think I think world? it's the I think it's the illusion of perfection that drives people at that point. I mean, to me, yes. that's like the nine. It, to me, it's like the chasing the nine eights. It's like yes. you and It's like, oh, I've got a nine eight, or right. like, and my nine four is a ninety four out of a hundred. Right. I'll yeah, still yeah. take the nine four. I'll still take a oh, nine yeah. two or a yeah. nine zero. Oh. I mean, anything over nine is going to be a beautiful book. It's going to be a beautiful oh, book. Sure. I, I think I think for some of the people, it's bragging rights, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, it's yeah. a situation where it's like so in that case that transformers you know i have one of the four nicest transformers that are basically in the world that is amazing which is kind of cool if you think about it in that perspective but 
to to tie a lot of monetary value in that i think is is might be a mistake i mm-hmm. i'd rather spend a lot of money for a book that's truly rare and it's rare because there's not a lot of them out there not rare because three independent independent people say this is a, a 9.9 right right and make yeah. sure do i'll say this buy books again that mean something to you yes, um, yes, yes. like i'm i'm tracking down a fantastic four 250 is one of the books on my list. There's nothing it's really from, magical. Uh, John, John Byrne run, yeah. That was Ooh. the first issue of the Fantastic Four I ever had. Uh, so to me, cool. that issue means something. So I, yeah. I would like to have one of those sealed up and be like, yeah. ooh, there's the comic that means so much to me. Mm. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a lot of it is just like, don't do it just to make money, I guess, you know. Yeah. Speaking of comics that mean a lot to you, mm-hmm. you have been invited on this show for a reason. You're not just some random schlub the off the street. No. Yeah. You didn't know this, right. did you, Fred? Yeah. Uh, yes. Being the Halloween season, we'd like to talk about some horror comics, and you, my friend, are a bit of an expert on that. I understand. At no, least, I at I'm least not, DC comics. Uh, <laughs> I, I would, I would never say Fred is an expert. Fred reads a lot. Um, All right. So I'm going to tell one story about horror comics, okay. and then we'll talk about them. All right. Yeah. I am the worst person to read horror comics or see a horror movie with. I will scream. I will jump. <laughs> I can vouch for this. Fred gets scared. I you do. Seen a, you seen a scary movie? Paddington Two. The second one, it was terrifying. I mean, I could not get over. How can they keep acting like it's not a wild animal? It's a bear. It's a bear. Um, What I was going to say about horror comics, though, is Mm -hmm. horror comics were never anything when I was younger that I was into. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I got older, I I started just going back and looking for the craft and the skill and where all this stuff came from. And so there's this company, which is pretty famous, that existed really briefly, Mm -hmm. uh, EC Comics. What did it stand for? Well, two different times. Uh, it, uh, it was originally founded by Max Gaines, and he died in 1947. When he founded it, it was educational comics. Oh, okay. Boring. So, his yeah, son, that his crap. son, which is, this is going to be kind of eerie, William Bill Gaines. Looky there. Everyone looks to the end of the table. Mm-hmm. That should have been my Halloween name. Um, <laughs> he, he comes in and takes over the company, and he's looking for a way to make the comic book company solvent, because... Just like you would think, educational comics did not get the kids excited. No. It's, yeah. like, it's like, ooh, multiplication tables. No, they didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he started looking at different kind of stories he could do because the time you got to think about here, it's the late 40s. So World War II's over. The All GIs are coming home. The GIs have come home. They have already seen the most horrific things that you can see. Okay? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so... I hate to say it, but Captain America, Superman, Batman, they weren't doing it for him anymore. No. So Bill Gaines decides that he's going to take his comic book company and he's going to start telling different stories. And he focuses on horror, suspense, science fiction, military, and crime stories. And this is where you get uh, a lot of the first superstar artists, Wally Wood, um, Johnny Craig, Graham Ingalls, Jack Davis, Frank Frazetta. Mm. That name oh, might wow. mean something. There, there's one. Okay. Al Williamson. Yeah. These are all names that were associated with EC Comics at the time and the Severins. Right. Um, they were also there, John Severin and Marie Severin, who oh, okay. later became kind of famous over at Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. Yep. And you'll actually notice, if you, if you do your history, a lot of these names end up working at Marvel. Uh, Johnny Craig, I know, yeah. did a lot of off-and-on Submariners and Ooh. Iron Mans. Wally yeah. Wood designed the Daredevil outfit. Really? Wally, Wood. Wally Wood is an episode in and of himself. It is. Huh. If you ever want to read an interesting biography, it's sad. But uh, did, he, 
the first or second Daredevil costume? The second, the classic, the he all put him in, red. He put him in the red uniform. Okay. Uh, yeah. Wow. Before that, it was kind of like the the brown and, and yellow. yellow the, yeah. It will ketchup and mustard. Yeah. yeah the, a Wallywood episode will bring people to tears. We should do that. We shouldn't do that one during February. That no. should know. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um. But no, he, Fred's absolutely right, and and I think that's what drew a lot of kids and teenagers to ec initially was that the art was so dynamic compared to what you were getting in the superhero comics Mm. it was it was much more um a lot more movement more mature you would get anywhere from three to four stories in any ec comics because they had a rule uh so you would get different artists in each issue so you would get six page eight page stories and the three that we're going to kind of focus on here because we're talking specifically about the horror genre was Tales from the Crypt. Uh, that should ring so a few Tales bells. Tales from the Crypt yeah, yeah. started at... EC? Wow. With the, the wow. Crypt Keeper. With the Crypt Keeper. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, each comic had their own host. So Tales okay. of the Crypt had the Crypt Keeper. The Vault of Horror had the Vault Keeper. Oh. Okay. And the Haunt of Fear had the Old Witch. Okay. So you had these three kind of iconic characters who were associated with these horror stories. And they were... I mean, I've read them even yes. now. They can be unsettling. Uh, Oh, wow. They're great stories, but these guys were... I don't think they were thinking too far ahead. I think they were like, I'm going to tell the best story I can tell. Because you got to remember, guys, this is going to be important. This is pre-Comics Code Authority. My next question. So, let me tell you a little bit of story about EC right quick, and then we'll get back to... Because this is what happens. The biggest monster to ever roll out of EC Comics, Mm -hmm. I hate to put it this way, I think was Bill Gaines himself. Okay. Oh. Okay. So in 1948, Dr. Frederick Wortham, you might recognize that name. From the Seduction of the Innocents trial. Releases an article called Horror in the Nursery. Oh. This is where he starts his crusade against comic books. Uh Aha. He had a big enough reputation because he was a doctor. That's air quotes for people who can't see me mocking him. (laughs) And he gets in front of concerned senators and congressmen and they start having these hearings. Bill Gaines was not summoned to take part in this. He just decided he was going to go down there. Like they didn't subpoena him or anything. He just decides he's going to go and outsmart these senators. Yeah, he's he's going to go tell them what's what. And he did not realize he was playing with real politicians. So Bill Gaines goes into this you know congressional hearing and this one crafty i don't know if it's a senator or congressman i'm just gonna be honest with you uh gets him up there and starts describing a cover to a comic book and bill gaines slams his fist down the desk is like we would never publish that at my company and then they pull up the comic and it is an ec horror comic so then bill gaines goes rushing back to new york and he decides that he is going to gather all the other publishers who he was been he's been outselling okay. because his comic books have a wider range of appeal than again Superman Batman. Yep. So he gathers them all up and he's like, "We'll form our own organization and we'll self-censor." And they all go, "Yes, that's that's a great idea, Bill. That is a great idea." And then Bill goes, "What are you guys looking at?" And so they form the Comics Code Authority. <laughs> and I quote other publishers, no comics could use the title Horror, Terror, Weird on the cover. Even weird. Even weird. Wow. And they got all the distributors to agree not to co- carry any of those comics. So while this is going on, Bill Gaines is losing traction with his audience. He's getting he attacked from two fronts. Yeah. But he handed the weapons over to his enemies not knowing that they were his enemies. Wow. So the so by the time this is all over with, Bill tries to reposition the company and tell other stories. He's lost his audience. He's had to let artists go. They're working at other companies now. So when it's all over with, the only thing that kind of crawls out of the wreckage of what EC Comics was in 1954 is this little comic book that migrated over to be a magazine because it could avoid the Comics Code Authority. Without oh, Alfred E. Newman. Mad Magazine. 
Yeah. And that's where Severn comes wow. back, right? Uh, that's Severn where, worked on Mad. Uh, a lot of them. Wally Wood, yeah. uh, Jack Davis. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the Mad Magazine was just a comic published, but they sidestepped it. But they by calling it a magazine? So they switched. So the first, I think, four or five issues of Mad are comic size. Oh, so they're not even. I think it's more than that. I think it's like the first like twenty five, almost the first twenty five issues. Well, it, was it that long? It yeah. may have been. You wow. may be right. But so they were comic book size before they went to the. They were comics. Correct. I had so, no idea about wow. that. So the reason they it went to Mad Magazine, what we call Mad Magazine, huh. is to get around the Comics Code Authority. They had written an exemption that if you were a magazine, you did not have to apply for uh, the codes. Were, the codes were lesser, and since the other publishers of comics weren't doing magazines, right? They didn't care. Right. Okay. The damage was done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why when we were kids, those Savage Sword of Conan magazines, they were much more mature than the Conan because comics they were in Marvel. format, so they were able to sidestep. Correct. I like to say the... Like heavy metal. It, I like to say the exactly exposed like breast mm. content was uh, much, much larger in Savage <laughs> I read it for the articles, Fred. <laughs> when we, yeah. I did too. I learned, I learned a lot. <laughs> for those who don't know, when we were younger, it was... Savage Sword of Conan, yes. Heavy Metal, yeah. National Geographic. Geographic. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the Holy Trophy. Maybe you find something one day in, a, in the woods. Yeah. Well, well, hold on a second, Ryan, because you're forgetting a few. We're going to get to those. Okay. Uh-oh. We're going to get to those. So they had to basically cancel every book they had and then just focus everything on Mad Magazine? Well, yeah, that's what they ended up doing. But see, here's the thing. The mystique of those comics, because they got a lot of them got destroyed. Mm-hmm. Oh. You find an original EC comic out there oh, in the they're... wild, you're going to pay through the nose for it. Because, oh. because moms were not happy, and they were burning those comics. And this oh, is like 1953, wow. 54. Ooh. Red Scare, folks. It was all yeah. little, little tense. Huh. But what kept EC kind of alive was the reprints. Some of them authorized some of them not authorized oh wow okay and we'll talk about that here in just a second but at this point Mm. pretty much all your horror comics vampires werewolves witches zombies mummies whatever you can think of is no longer being published kids aren't getting it and we move into what we call the era of atomic horror this is where rogue and zoom yeah start well this isn't even good kaiju stuff this is this is just yeah, more like just monsters, just kind of like Monster of the Week type stuff. Jack, probably what led to Hulk, right? If monster books were really big at that point? Close. Okay. Because uh, that's an interesting story. You're talking, it's like you saw my notes. <laughs> no, I didn't see your notes. Um, but, it, but, it's, but it's the truth. I mean, it's like they go to the, this atomic horror stage. Comics are dwindling. Comics are dying. Mm-hmm. The Silver Age starts. Superheroes come back. Marvel comics start. And Marvel does this kind of weird little thing in the first Marvel comic. Right. One of the heroes, Ben Grimm, turns into this rock monstrosity known as The Thing. And the Comics Code Authority doesn't bat an eye because he's a superhero. This is what starts opening the door back. Now, Gaines at this time is pretty much both fingers in the air telling them exactly, this is wrong what you guys did to me. But again, it doesn't matter. These reprints are starting to slip out. Kids are hearing, you know, I hate to say it. The kids are like, Psst, you ever read an EC comic? Huh. Oh, the underground. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this continues all the way through. Because at this point, the kids that read them back in the day are now also becoming of age. Yeah. They can start hunting them down. Nostalgia. Mm-hmm. So you've got like House of Mystery from DC, 1951. It ran through 87. You've got House oh, wow. of Secrets, 1956. Strange Tales, uh, 1951 through 68. And Journey into Mystery, which starts in 1955 and in 1966 turns into this little comic about some Norse god or something I'm not really sure somebody should really look and see what happens cosplayed for a few times here at Comics Exchange I don't know what you're talking about but if somebody wants to go back on Facebook and do a deep dive I'm pretty sure you'll see pictures there's pictures yes 
that's going on. And then at the same time, this other magazine company comes out, and this is a kooky cat, mm-hmm. uh, Warren Publishing. Yes. Okay. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this in case I offend anyone. Warren never had an original idea in his life. Okay. And he goes, you know what I liked as a kid? I like those EC comics. Oh. But I can publish it in a magazine form, and I'll call it eerie and creepy. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Frank Frazetta, he worked for EC Comics. He'll draw some covers for me. Yeah. So, wow. 1964, Creepy comes along in a magazine. So the Comics Code Authority can't do anything to it. And they even had their own Crypt Keeper type character, right? Uh, Uncle uh, oh. Uncle Creepy? or Yeah, Uncle Creepy. Yeah. yeah he was kind of like a creepy. I was so close to looking this up. Let me interject here. <laughs> to define magazine, is it just size? Is that it? It's size and yeah. where it's sold. Yeah. So oh, a magazine really? goes on the magazine rack. It's not positioned for children. Okay. So for, he's right. So when I was a kid, and, and probably Fred remembers this too, uh, it was hard to find like Eerie's, Creepy's, Vampirilla's. Um, the stores we went to to buy our comics, there was a comic spinner rack, and if it didn't fit on the spinner rack, they weren't ordering it. Mm-hmm. And they definitely weren't ordering it if it had, like, Son of Satan and a pentagram on it. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, if yeah. it had, you know, uh, something on Eerie cover that had, like, a decapitated head. So those kind of magazines, when we were kids, you only found them in those stores that was kind of like, where you'd find, like, the dirty magazines or, like, a head shop or a record store I or some type of... I was little, I can remember, like, where the... Uh, the Playboys and all that would be. Yes. That's where Savage Sword of Conan. Vampirillas would be metal, up there. Right? Heavy Metals were yep. up there. Well, that's what, con- continuing based off of this. So you got, you got Creepy in 64. Mm-hmm. Eerie comes along in 66. And then in 1969, Vampirella comes out. That's right. Now, who, oh. de- who designs Vampirella? Frank Frazetta. Trini, really? Trini Howard is also a huge part yeah. of the design of that character. And Ooh. they put her in the superhero bikini. So at this point... The CCA, remember, is is controlled by publishers. So they have these meetings, and they're like, well, this is selling pretty well. Why aren't we getting a piece of this? Uh-huh. So in 1971, the Comics Code Authority relaxes the rules on horror comics. Again, mm-hmm. gains, fingers in the air. Yeah. Um, and DC strikes first out of, Bill, I'm going to let you tell the story, House of Secrets 92. What's important about that issue? So it came out in 1971, the year I was born. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yes, and uh, it has a beautiful Bernie Wrightson cover, and it also happens to be the first appearance of Swamp Thing. Ooh. Oh, that's so cool because Bernie and Swamp Thing are so tied together. We're gonna get to that. Mm-hmm. Yes, <clears throat> July of 71, DC strikes first, but Swamp Thing comes out, and they're waiting to see the response. Marvel, who let's just be honest, right. doesn't miss a beat immediately launches back with Amazing Spider-Man 101 in October of 1971 with Morbius, the living vampire. Uh-huh. Now, note, yes. he's a living vampire. Okay. He's a scientific vampire. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's the way... Not the walking dead, So at this point, they're still trying to... Marvel's still trying to circumvent things. They're trying to kind of backdoor it in. So, in rapid succession, I hate to say this, Marvel just goes crazy. DC sticks... DC. Okay, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. DC always had the older creators on there. They did. So they were like, oh, let's wait. Let's keep doing House of Secrets. Oh, let's do this. Marvel went, get your yayas out. We're about to yeah. take you to the monster show. <laughs> so immediately February 1972, Werewolf by Night um, appears in Marvel Spotlight number two. That's right. 
Uh, you get Tomb of Dracula launching in April of 1972. Now, that book struggles for the first seven or eight issues until Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan take over, and then they're off to the races and had a pretty strong run all the way through the end of that series in 79. Did they introduce some new characters, or was it just Yeah, like the they might have the introduced this kind of popular character, which will come into play a little bit later, okay. because... As our conversation was earlier about superhero movies, this was really the first big Marvel superhero movie to get over. Mm. We're talking about Blade the Vampire Hunter. Okay. Mm, yep. Right. Oh, nice. Okay. You may know him as Blade. <laughs> That's the fancy way. That's the fancy way <laughs> yeah. of saying it, but yes, absolutely. So Blade, Blade. <laughs> once Blade shows up in, in the Dracula book, that's where it just takes off? It was taken off beforehand. It it was passed around. I mean, Gardner Fox wrote a couple issues. Um, who was the Spider-Man guy who came on after Stan Lee? I'm sorry. Jerry Conway. Jerry Conway. Yeah. Jerry Conway writes the first issue. He hands it off to Archie Goodwin. Nobody knows what they want to do with the book, so it just keeps... I mean, the direction's changing like every two to three issues. They give it to Marv Wolfman and Gene Cole, and Marv Wolfman's like, okay, I can tell a story with this. Yeah. And he goes. How fitting somebody named Wolfman. Yeah. That gets it. Well, here's the here's the big one, um, in my opinion. August of 1972, Ghost Rider, which is probably, probably in my opinion, the perfect marriage of a horror superhero yep. that yep. they ever yeah. did. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just that, the image alone is iconic. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, a it's, flaming skull and a flaming bike. I, I know people, It's. It's. I hate to put it this way, it's like the Punisher logo. I know people have never read a comic book, but they have that hat. Or mm-hmm. they have that, you know, they have that tattoo. Right. And it's like, okay. And, and Ghost Rider is right up there with it. Did he start out in a solo series, too? No, he, he was... Um, Marvel Spotlight Marvel, number five. Okay. Yeah, Marvel Spotlight number five. Ooh. I mean, it was right after... So right after number two, yeah. Because uh, Mike Plogue, the artist on Werewolf by Night, mm-hmm. comes over and does that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, Marvel being Marvel, though, they can't control themselves. They absolutely oversaturate the market. You've got Son of Satan. You've got Tales of the Zombie, which is Bill's favorite. Yeah. I like that. Chamber of Chills. Chamber of Chills. got the Comics Code Authority stamp, too. They do. They do. But at this time, like I said, the code suddenly got relaxed when all these guys realized. Okay. So... I suspect there's no truth to this that I can verify. Right. I suspect they use the code to beat Gaines down to get him out of the market. Personally. Yep. And, you know, and then I, I then I think when it came time for these things to come back around, mm-hmm. parents were calming down, everybody was peace, love, and dropping out. Right. All of a sudden, yeah. we put vampires back in comics. So it's kind of weird. But the funny thing is, is really DC struggles in the horror market. They're doing House of Secrets, House of Mystery. They have this little book pop up. Now... Bill, I'm gonna let you say Lynn's last name because I always get it wrong. I think it's I think it's Lynn Wine. Lynn Wine and Bernie Wrightston. They come on and do Swamp Thing, and I don't think they last very long. I think they do 13 issues. Okay. Uh, and then the book just kind of meanders off into sci-fi, whatever. Uh, another funny thing is, you've got Swamp Thing at DC, right. which is their best monster book, and Marvel's got Man Thing, which is also a big swamp shambling monster yep. I'm going to go ahead and say now if you haven't caught on we're not going to be able to list every one of your favorite monster yeah, comic yeah, book yeah, series yeah. too many there's too yeah. many we're going to do our best too um, many monsters but for me but for me, I always thought Swamp Thing was the superior muck man yeah for sure and I'll, and I'll just keep it there yeah but this all also relates back to the Hulk you know, remember you're talking about hey that the Hulk was a monster Frankenstein-esque but it was science. Mm-hmm. So there you go. They were able to get around it. Nobody ever said he was a monster, even yeah. though he was a monstrous character. But basically, it's just a, a, a comic book Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Now, here you go. So here we get to something kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So DC 
bring Swamp Thing back because there's a movie that they release. Yeah, I think it was 81, 82. That's a good movie. Oh, yep, yep, it was. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I like that. I like the um, Adriana Barbo. Oh, yeah. Was that the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Young Ryan. Calm George. down. Calm down. <laughs> I'm just now imagining Ryan watching this. My pants are tight. Uh, <laughs> so. Something's going on. <laughs> I feel funny. Um, we, we all did, Young Ryan. Yes, we all yes, did. Yes. <laughs> but uh, that book kind of flounders around again. They brought it back. It had been canceled. It's called Saga the Swamp Thing. Right. And then they get this up-and-coming British writer named Alan Moore, mm, who uh, to this day, I will say this is mm. probably the most terrifying comic I've ever read. It does not lose its punch. Wow. Uh, issue 21, A Saga of the Swamp Thing, The Anatomy Lesson by Alan Moore and Tom Yates. Yeah. Um, that just sounds gruesome. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was the beginning of, really it's the beginnings of what will eventually become Vertigo. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, yeah, yeah. Because Swamp Thing, even though it's in the DC universe, Alan Moore starts writing it like it's its own thing. Yeah. He, he'll, he'll nod... Yes, there's Superman and Batman, but Swamp Thing's taking place in its own place. Yep. So, and he kind of reinvents the character and makes him more of like an Earth elemental. I mean, it was really he, he upped his power level. And do you still consider it a monster book, though? So I, I would because if you remember, I think one of the first storylines he did was that American Gothic storyline, mm-hmm. where it's Swamp Thing going and traveling across America, and in each city he finds. I mean, and it plays out like little horror films. Like in one city, they're shooting a movie at an old plantation, and there's these ghosts of these slaves that still haunt the plantation, and it's kind of messing with the movie setting. He goes to another city, and it was a city that had gotten uh, put underwater when the TVA decided to. Uh, to kind of create like the the lakes and he's the, just like touring the country and he's touring and when he's just going across the country and he's yeah. meeting these people and he's going in uh, these situations where like there's vampires that live in the lake that are water vampires okay and um, so each issue was like a little horror story and it, That's cool. it, it was it was really really like Fred said it was it was terrifying DC has gathered most of this stuff up in what they call the saga of the swamp thing or the yeah. Alan Moore collection you mm-hmm. can start with volume one it will give you the the issue before, I think it starts with issue 20. Yeah, I think it does. He just kind of tries to wrap up whatever the previous writer had going. Then you get into the anatomy lesson, mm-hmm. the Floronic Man. Yeah. Or, and it's just, you You can read this. Uh, your mileage may vary. I, I, I suggest everybody, if you have any interest, at least read volume one. Yeah, he even creates the character of John Constantine in Swamp Thing. And I his think. run was decent size so oh yeah he was on the book for probably five or six years it won like multiple eagle yeah awards it was it was it, it i believe it and the new teen titans were pre-crisis the really only thing dc really had going yeah at the, yeah and it had some controversies right like, oh yeah it was like the jesus yeah there's certain storylines that i mean even the uh even the one with the slave plantation was, was oh. had a lot of controversy yeah. Yeah. but this was basically all people were talking about with DC at this point before Crisis was right. this book and Teen Titans. Yeah, well, I mean, you get to the 80s, and this is when something kind of weird happens. The horror monster, because they had really just flooded the market, it's it's really tamped down. Ghost Riders canceled back in 79. Mm-hmm. Tomb of Dracula's canceled, or maybe 81. Maybe Tomb of Dracula so. doesn't make it out of the 70s. So all these monster books fade out. And then, um, once again, Marvel brings it all back to the forefront in the 1990s with bringing back ghost rider uh, ghost rider hits it explodes remember this is the this is the bad boy era of comics punisher's yep. guest starring everywhere wolverine's guest right. starring everywhere and so now you've got ghost rider back and it's not johnny blaze and it's it's a you know it's a darker meaner book which sounds crazy to say but it's yep. definitely darker than the original ghost rider yes that ghost that original ghost rider book god bless it 
you would have writers who'd come in there and really want to tell you a really creepy story, and then you had other ones like, he's a superhero. He's teaming up with the champions. Yep. <laughs> and bar none, because early 90s is all about the gimmick covers. Yes. The Ghost Rider glow-in-the-dark cover is Oh, the with the big skull. I... I, I, I recently reacquired one of those at a 9.6. Nice. Okay. I, I, that's one of my favorite covers. I can't help it. Right. It's, um, it's a simple cover. It's a simple but cover. the gimmick it does is just incredible. Uh, everybody look that one up. It's uh, Ghost Rider 15 uh, from the 1990. Is it 1991, 1990? Mark Tex. Yeah, maybe 91, 92. Texiera. It's a great cover. Great gimmick. Um DC kind of comes back here. The Spectre kind of comes back into play and the Spectre is a lot darker book. Oh yeah. Um, all these things are kind of happening. And so now Ryan, Oh, I've been waiting for this moment. No, no. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. So if you don't know, if you haven't been, which you should, Ryan, who's your favorite comic book character? Okay. (laughs) So back in the nineties, there was this artist, uh, Todd McFarlane. Have you heard of this man, Ryan? I have heard of Todd McFarlane. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm going to hit you with this and you tell me what you think. This is what I've been waiting for all day. Okay. Oh, so I will, I was looking and Bill looks very excited. I am. Rod's uncomfortable. It makes me excited. (laughs) I was looking at this. I hate to say, I know it's good radio, but (laughs) I was the tension. It's just killing me. Um, so what I was going to say is, so David Michelini, he does his original run, what, 298 through 327? Yeah. Yeah. He introduces yeah. Venom, does a lot of classic. You're talking um, about him and McFarlane together. Yeah. 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 So McFarlane gets his own Spider-Man book where he gets to write it. And the, Torment is the first story. Torment is the first story. Exactly. So he really is on the book for 14 issues and then a bonus issue he does at the end. The crossover. Yeah. So I'm going to hit you with this. Okay. I believe that that Spider-Man book was the direct connection of him transferring from Spider-Man to Spawn. And here's why. Issues 1 through 5 is Torment. Spider-Man versus a very psychotic lizard. It is a very... And there's the voodoo priestess in the background. And there's dark. It's very very dark. dark. They they did a lot with the... Doom, 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 doom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The second storyline is a two-issue Demi-Goblin Ghost Rider crossover. That's true. Mm -hmm. The third story is Spider-Man and Wolverine versus the Wendigo. Now, what does do you remember this about the Wendigo? To become the Wendigo, you have to consume human flesh. Mm-hmm. Yep. To be to be yeah. cursed. Dark hearts, baby. Yep. The final storyline is a two-part storyline where he goes back into the black costume and who does he team up with? Morbius the Living Vampire for two oh, issues. Oh, yeah. Oh. I'm going to tell you right now. Mm-hmm. That Spider-Man series was a Spider-Man horror comic. I think that it's blown my mind. He's, yeah, I think he's. And that kind of makes sense. It, it could be Todd trying to get his legs for writing like his Spawn. upcoming Spawn well, you book. You see, Maybe. like when he goes into Spawn, and Spawn mm-hmm. is very horrific. Right. And then he starts. I feel like I'm doing that thing where I'm seeing all the calculations in front of me. <laughs> and then McFarlane starts doing all the horror icon mm-hmm. toy figures. So McFarlane's uh-huh. just a big horror, horror guy. fan. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you okay. look at you look at Spawn. Spawn has got to be the longest running continuous horror book. I mean, yeah. Let's be honest. Well, Spawn, depending on how it's the long longest running continuing co- continuous comic now, yeah, right? It'll depend book on or... how long Well stays on Spider Man. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's 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 its own horror story. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, but, but I mean, but no, you're right. Like Spawn is the uh, the longest running horror yeah. comic. It. I mean, 
coming up on 350 issues. Mm, Plus, yeah. he's expanded it now to the Spawn universe. Right. So he's even getting more books and put out. And he's doing 14 new books in 2024. That man's insane. And Spawn was, de- he was like an amalgam of what? Let, let's do the math here. He was a Ghost Rider, a little bit of Ghost Rider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was a Batman. little bit of Doctor Strange, a little bit, bit of Batman, right. a little bit of Punisher. A little a bit lot of Spider-Man. A little bit of the, yeah. the symbiote, of course. Yeah, he says he created that character when he was 17 years old, but he was cosmic powered. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you watch any, if you watch that documentary that they've got on, you can watch it on YouTube. I right. think it's it's like like hell I like hell I won't or something like that. Okay. The Todd McFarlane story. Yeah. But when I was looking at that though, and I was thinking at comics in the '90s, I was like, ooh, I can't wait to tell Ryan about this because yeah. I looked at it and I went, this is this is the progression. You're going from cosmic Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Because I think that was the last stuff he was working on in Amazing, and when he does his own book. It's a horror comic. Yeah. Big, huge difference. You're right. Yeah. You know, he comes back, he takes one issue off. Uh, Eric Larson does that Beast Spider-Man team up, and then him and Rob Liefeld kind of... They do that weird where it's like the last thing... X-Factor. The covers are turned panoramic. You have to like turn it sideways and read the book. It's the X-Force Spider-Man team up, which everybody kind of goes, huh? Mm. But I mean, yeah. but you look at you look at those fourteen issues. At that point, I think they knew they were about to leave the image. And like, Let's hype they each did. other up for this. Yeah. Right. So now you've got Spawn over here in Image. So again, yeah. horror comics are coming and going at this time. I think you have Witchblade. You have the Darkness. Darkness. Yeah. None of them really stick now until the early two thousands. Now okay. we have to talk about this because we're talking about horror comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In August of 2002, a little comic comes out called 30 Days of Night. Three issues. Steve Niles and um, Ben Temple Smith. October of 2003, Image releases this little comic book called The Walking Dead. It's crazy to think it was that long ago, really. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Oh, 20 years. Yeah. Wow. So The Walking Dead comes out in 2003, and if there has ever been a comic book, nothing personal, Todd, if you, (laughs) for some reason, are listening to this podcast... (laughs) But Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead catapults horror comics right back to the top. Yeah. Especially zombie stuff. You remember, zombie stuff had a resurgence right around the time because you had like 28 Days Later. Right, right. And you yeah. had The Walking Dead. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I think Marvel uh, gets Kirkman to write Marvel Zombies, right? After yeah. Yeah. you get Marvel, you Marvel wants a piece of that zombie pie. The Marvel <laughs> Zombie yeah. stuff comes out. I think it starts in Ultimate Fantastic Resident Four. Resident Evil 4 comes out around, right around that, that time too and just really reviter- re vitalizes that, that franchise. The whole, okay. Yeah. I mean, but look at some of the stuff you've got now. You've got DC Deceased, right. DC versus Vampires. Marvel's yeah. got some horror books back. Uh, there's this little comic book that started in June of 2019. James Tinian, what's it? Something's Killing the Children. Yep. Um, and his new book this book. year, World Tree. Yeah, and World Tree. You, Even though it's not quite as horror-based as Something's Killing the Children. It's very still hard. It it's is. It's a science it's more, horror in a way. Yes. Yeah. More like X-Files horror. I yeah. think you're getting better horror comics nowadays just because you've got like the th- the me you love in the dark. Oh, Jeff Jeff Lemire himself. Oh, Lord. oh yeah. That Scotty Young, the me you love in the dark. Excellent. I think it's all been collected now. Well, I mean, the great thing is because they're not owned by these huge conglomerates. Right. You you can tell that independent story. That's right. So Scotty doesn't want to come back and tell another one of those stories. He doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do have to pay homage to uh, a couple things here that I said we're going to pay off on. Okay. So in the late '90s. That little con- that little character who premiered in Tomb of Dracula, Blade, the Vampire Hunter, that comes out. That's really the first time that superheroes that I remember were on the big screen that since Superman and Batman. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because the Batman franchise kind of went off a cliff. Because um, Blade was ninety seven. It predates X Men. It does yeah. by oh yeah by a couple by, of years. I yeah, want to yeah, say yeah. the first movie was like ninety six, right? I want to say it's like ninety eight. You know what somebody's going to do? Look that up, Shipley. Yeah. Let's see who's right. Oh, is this this competition? I'm going to say 98. (laughs) You're in the 98 camp, too? I'm in 98. I'm the only 96. Mike, Uh are you with me on 96? I'm doing 97. 
For, oh, look at you. <laughs> oh, oh. He's no, the, uh, now I'm thinking in Dungeons and Dragons, folks, we would call this splitting the party. I'm going 99. What? The 98's got it. No, what? it is not. For the first movie? Yeah, Blade 90, <clears throat> uh, 1998. I, I've got this, Ryan. Okay. Suck it. <laughs> and just so you know, if you want to know, Blade 2, 2002, Blade okay. Trinity, 2004, Sling Blade, 1996. There it is. Wow. Okay. We, don't, right. we, don't, we don't talk about Blade Trinity. Yeah. Okay, nobody talks um, about that. If you want to see something hysterical, look up Patton Oswalt's uh, recounts on the set of Blade Trinity. It's oh, you will only call me Blade. Yeah. So, yeah, Blade, because Blade does really well. And that's the thing is that I remember, and we were, cause we were talking about how in Tomb of Dracula, the book is ostensibly about Dracula, but by the tenth issue when they introduce Blade, all of a sudden the book shifts and it becomes about more so about Blade yeah. than, than Dracula. Mm. And so I remember by the time the second or third movie out I, came out, I was leaving the theater with my friend, and I said, "Man, if they can make three Blade movies." About a character that doesn't even have his own comic. There was yeah. no comic called Blade. It was he was in a character. I think called they brought Tomb him Dracula. back during that that uh, Sons of what was it called? Sons. They're not yeah. Sons. Yeah, right. But uh, but when it started, there was no Blade comic, and then now they've got three Blade movies, and so that was a huge. Has everybody at this table seen Blade in theaters? Yes, I saw the first one in theater. Yeah, and wasn't it kind of impressive because at this point, very, very. For people yes. listening that aren't of the age. It was a hard time to be a comic book fan. Going it was to a movies. wasteland. It was like video game uh, adaptations at that point. It's just a string of We had bombs. just got Batman and Robin a couple of years earlier. Right. It Ooh. was a dark time. You had you, Superman, Quest They for did Peace. that awful Generation X uh, TV. Let's not uh, talk about those Fox movies. David Batman. Hasselhoff playing... David Hasselhoff played Nick Fury first, yeah, kids. Yeah. Trust us. Yeah. And Dolph Lundgren was the first Punisher. Yeah. So I will say this, though. There's one character we've got to talk about. I've got, I've got to double back to the early 90s. Okay. Mike Mignola... Mm-hmm. Mm. Over at Dark Horse, under the le- the legends in print, right. Hellboy. Oh yeah, Hellboy comes out, and Hellboy was pretty much the for for a brief period he was the torch holder because Marvel had, in their great infinite wisdom, overexposed Ghost Rider, and so that new series that kind of launched this whole resurgence in horror comics, right? They they crashed and burned again. Marvel Marvel is the reason we can't have nice things sometimes. I swear, <laughs> because it's like if this if they, if this character gets traction, would you like five more of them? Yeah. yeah. Mm. No, and I would say, like, today, Marvel's, I guess, they do have a legitimate horror book right now, The New Hulk. Uh, yeah, uh, you go from Immortal Hulk uh, to The Incredible Hulk by friend of the store, Philip Kennedy Johnson, which is on issue five. Yeah, they're, um, I don't know if it's, it doesn't seem like it's monthly. It seems like it's a little bit faster than monthly. It does feel that way. And now, but now, Philip Kennedy Johnson is a prolific writer. He yeah. writes currently, I think, three or four monthly titles. He does the Aliens title for Marvel, also, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, the talented, talented writer. Yeah, we yeah. haven't even touched on all the on the film franchises that got over. I mean, there's been Friday the Thirteenth comics, Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street comics, Supernatural, uh, The Crow, Hellraiser, yeah. The Crow. Oh yeah, The Crow. That's, yeah. that's I mean, The Crow's a The Crow's. A, I consider The Crow a classic horror comic. Dynamite but. just started a new Evil Dead. Oh comic. yeah, yeah. Oh. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, yeah. a, there's a huge, I mean, you know, Sam Raimi's Army of Darkness is what got him the Spider-Man gig yep. with Sony. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's been a healthy stream of these comics since the 70s. But, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy when you think about horror comics in, a, in the Western market. Mm-hmm. It's its own subsect. Um, and it's to me, it's funny when you see Marvel and DC get a hold of it and they want to make them shiny superheroes. Yeah. I mean, we had Nick, we had a Nick Cage ghostwriter. We had two of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Don't remind me. Yeah. Mar- like right now if you're a horror fan mm-hmm. there's just a ton of good stuff out there yeah yeah, both movies and comic books mm-hmm. yeah and it's all different uh, different varieties like we were talking in the last episode Stray Dogs 
dogs. Yeah. Stray dogs Can't looks like a Don one. Bluth cartoon, but, but it's like seven. It, yes. The, the, yeah. the most Ooh. horrific comic you can ever read is We Three. Oh, We Three will mess you up. So we had this conversation up. a while back, too. If you're an animal person. Um, that and Pride of Baghdad. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Both of them are. It's like reading Old Yeller in comics. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. It's rough. It yeah. is rough. Fantastic or, books, but they or, will stay with you. Or we three would probably be more like coming home, where the three pets try and find their owners. And yep, Bill, I need you to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I regret yeah. bringing. I regret bringing it up. Bill. Yeah, but <laughs> it's a ton of books, and I think also yeah. maybe the fact that there's no more comics code probably helps a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, even when the comics code went away, which is probably what maybe about 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, they they finally ditched the comics code but even the the 20 preceding years before that i'll be honest with you no store owners pay attention to the comic code no there was no nobody came in and and no moms were like does this book have the comics code stamp on it i never heard that uh, the whole time i've been in business i heard more people wondering what it was yeah 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. and why is it was it blocking the art on the cover (laughs) yeah yeah why is this uh But so yeah, it's, was Marvel the last to do it or DC? Which Marvel one? did it first? But as far Marvel as pulled di- it first. as far as ditching it, yeah. I think DC ditched it first, right? DC DC ditched it, but it was so quiet nobody noticed. Marvel came right out and said, "What's up? We're getting rid of the comics code." Yeah, yeah. and that was yeah. it. I mean, it was it was crazy. Um, but I mean, you see these characters all over the place now. I mean, that's that's the funny thing to me is there's people who know Hellboy from the movies who's yeah. never read one of the never yep. read a Mike Mignola Absolutely. comic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, knew him from the yeah. I mean, you had that Immortal Hulk series. You talk about a body horror series Shoot. for fifty issues, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes, and it looks like Incredible Hulk. The Philip Kennedy Johnson's kind of in a similar vein. Yeah. Yeah. I actually yes, like yes. I actually like the Philip Kennedy Johnson Incredible Hulk better bit. than I do the Immortal Hulk because okay. it just I, Nick Klein's art and everything. It just kind of brings it together, and it's it seems like there's a new status quo. But he's definitely t- keeping the Hulk in the world of the monsters. Yeah. and the good thing too because uh, four and five are guest artists. Yeah, um, but they, they they it looks like they have quality guest artists for this because right. that with the Mortal Hulk right like they had would they have was it all the same artists through the whole thing or did they have mainly mainly oh wow okay I still need to read a Mortal Hulk oh yeah you'd love it I mean it's worth it just for the Alex Ross covers I agree but I think I might be on friends and I, I think I might like the, the new Incredible. a little better it has a more of a traditional like classic horror it horror feels a little more grindhousey yes yes okay so I did one more thing okay which is I brought you guys a list of recommendations and you might want to come here I don't know to the comics exchange during the Halloween sale and oh, see if yes. you can take advantage of this Ooh, nice. how smart Fred is <laughs> he's, he's still, you know, he's, I can't believe it took us yeah. long to get him on the podcast <laughs> yeah uh, I would recommend from if you're looking for some good horror books to sample uh, these are pretty easy to get a hold of Hellboy Omnibus Volume 1 Seed of Destruction it's going to get all of Mike Mignola's Hellboy from 94 through 97 which in my opinion is the best part because you don't have to read all the other side stories that are going on and yeah. the cool thing about Hellboy is for the most part you can read the stories in any order Seed of Destruction oh. chronologically is the first one but you can almost pick up any right hand of doom and uh and that story's gonna make sense to you if you haven't read any help uh, the wolves of saint august which was mm-hmm. printed in dark horse presents at the time is also collected in this that's probably one of my favorite hellboy stories oh wow okay. and an yeah. incredibly unique artist there's there's only one mignola yeah, oh yeah one of those guys yeah. that you yeah. can immediately identify by his art i was about to say you talk about great hor- horror artists i mean yeah. gene colon who 
I'm going to say this, and I don't mean no disrespect. I never liked Gene Colan's Daredevil. That's disrespectful, Fred. I know. That's why I'm saying it. But you look at what he did on Tomb of Dracula, and it is just amazing. Number one Gene Colan fan has sword off to the side of the road. <laughs> He's right like, I'm turning this off. His yeah. name was Fred. I will find <laughs> him. I will convince him. But, I mean, you had Jim Colan. You had Frank Bruner, Mike Plug. Mm-hmm. I mean, Plug there's was... these great artists. I mean, Greg Capello made his made his bones before he did Batman. He did this huge run of Spawn. He Again, followed, he followed McFarlane on yeah. Spawn, yeah. And yeah. he's back to Marvel. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. Wouldn't you love to see Capullo come in and kind of do a horror comic, though, at Marvel? Would that not oh, be awesome? That would be cool, fantastic. yeah. yeah. He's going to be drawing Wolverine, right? Uh, right? I know he's the done rumor, a couple covers. Mm-mm. That's the rumor. I know he's did some covers. I know Wolverine's about to be tied up in that Sabretooth War mm-hmm. for a while, like starting in January, mm-hmm. but yeah. Uh, another book I would recommend, Absolute Edition, Swamp Thing, Lynn, Lynn Ween, and uh, Bernie Grinston. Nice. Uh, Jose Villabara? Villarubia? Villarubia. Sorry. Villarubia. Sorry. Mm, colors on that book are beyond the pale. If you want to, mm. you never normally notice a colorist, uh-huh. but when he did that Absolute Edition, he actually went back and got the original comics. Oh. And he made sure that the digital coloring worked with what okay. was supposed to be there. Uh, I bought it specifically to see what it was, and... If you want to see an artist, yeah, pick this book up. You got Bernie Ryston. He doesn't. He never tries to steal the thunder of Bernie Ryston's pen work. Uh, it's an amazing absolute edition. Uh, get it from your local comic shop. Have them order it. Get a copy of this book if you just want to see the closest things to people being at their at the top of their game. Okay. Classic horror. Classic horror. Uh, Fanagraphics uh, has the EC library. You can oh, get, wow. okay. uh, you can get copies of black and white reprints and these nice hardbacks. Yes. Uh, now, they don't have a specific Tales of the Crypt or um, Vault of Horror or any of that, but they do it by the artists. So you can find these artists. You can look it up online. There's references. And you can buy a couple of these. Some of them are more horror-themed. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them would be more military, whatever, EC. But you can pick that up. Um, I was just checking that out. Also, Dark Horse. Uh, I know we have some in the shop. Dark Horse does a nice reprint series of Tales of the Crypt, Vault of Horror, mm-hmm. uh, Weird Science. Creepy yeah. and Not just a movie. Creepy mm-hmm. and Eeries. We've got trades of those in. You should check those out. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Epic Collection just released. Ghost Rider, Danny Ketch, Vengeance Reborn. There's oh, some, nice. There's some 90s Ghost Rider for you. Yeah. There you go. It collects the first 12 issues plus a couple other stories. It's you know it's it's available and in print. And finally, if you're just looking to sample something for the holiday season, Come to the shop, pick up a copy of Werewolf by Night, number one. It's a one-shot by Derek Landy, and I can recommend that book if you just want to read some fun horror superhero comics. So there you go. Just came out last week. We still have some on the rack. Yeah, pair it with uh, Werewolf by Night on Marvel on Disney+. Excellent show. Yeah. Yeah. Pair it with a good Chardonnay. What's the black Uh, and white version, though? Yeah. They just brought out, they colorized it. This this season, because originally it aired black and white, it right? Aired black and white. I think it works better as a black and I white. I think it does too. Yeah. And I noticed that when I was reading Marvel does these essential graphic novels, and they did four volumes of Essential Tomb of Dracula, and Fred's right. Like at first, I was like, I'm going to miss the color in these because they yeah. print them in black and white to keep the cost down. Yeah. But when I was looking at the Gene Colan pencils on that Tomb of Dracula, I think it, it played better in black and white. It did. And, and it definitely yeah. played better. A lot of times in Marvel and DC will do their reprints, and that's why I'm, I'm glad about the Swamp Thing, is sometimes the art looks, the colors are just too much. They look garish. Too garish. And, well, it's yeah. like when they did uh, Dark Horse, when Dark Horse had the license for Conan, they reprinted all the original Marvel work, and they did this rush job on the colors when they did those reprints, and they that. were terrible. Yeah, it looked real muddy. And like sometimes when they reprint um, like the original Marvel Silver Age stuff, 
they go in and decide some colors is like i'm going to change the colors i'm going to do this and for me that kind of steals something mm-hmm. so it's like uh i know you carry the mighty marvel masterwork series we do. they actually went back in those and it's like no if the wall was green in the original comic the wall is going to be green let's right. take all this this out you know it's like sometimes it's like let the comic be what it's supposed to be and yeah yeah, yeah. i will say this I, just to piggyback off what bill just said you go back and look at those tomb of draculas you look at those mm-hmm. essential editions if you can track them down oh my gosh uh gene colin's pencils are just a, a thing of beauty and oh. like i said not knocking gene but yeah he for me he was a oh howard the duck that makes sense yeah uh, tomb of dracula that makes sense yeah daredevil not so much yeah but you know and if you want i think we have all the walking deads yeah, oh, yeah. We have all yeah, of them in graphic novel. Yep. And the comic's different than the show, folks. Oh, yes. 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 This think... all reminds me. Uh, something I've been wanting to focus on on the show. I'd love to do an upcoming segment about colorists. Uh, there's some issues I'll read these days and be blown away at the colorists. I just don't think they get the credit they deserve. We're always talking about the pencilers right. uh, and the writers, but there's some colorists out Does there doing something credits incredible. On the, if on the a colorist page. is doing... Well, I mean, here's the thing. If the colorist is on doing the their job, they're additive to the art. Mm. You yeah. only notice the colorist, I hate to put it this way, because most of us don't pay attention. You only us when they mess up or do a bad job. Yeah. Mm. It's unsung. It's an unsung. Uh, yeah. Well, so not we, here on the Comics Exchange podcast. No. To all the <laughs> colorists. Shout out to Jose to, Villarubia. Yeah. No, I'm glad you said his name uh, instead I did. But but I'm, I'm just going to say this. To all the colorists out there who are listening to this podcast, yeah. we see you. We hear you. Mm. We just forget to give you a, 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 a round of applause yeah. for all yeah. the colorists. Yeah. Thank you. Well, see, and that's something I hope we can start doing more on this. I was excited to have Professor Fred on tonight, mm. is that we can mm. go deep dives of the education of the comic books. So we do like our top favorite writers on a certain book or whatever. Right. But I think sometimes going in, like deep diving on a creator, like he was talking about with mm-hmm. uh, Wally Wood. Oh, yeah. Uh, stuff like that. So hopefully stuff that we can do in the future on the podcast. I'm yes. crying just thinking about Wallywood right now. Oh. We're going to have you back, Professor Fred. Absolutely. I'm coming for you, Lewis. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He's throwing the gauntlet down. I'll go first for the book of the week. This is uh, Distillery. Distillery. Okay, mm-hmm. Distillery, a new publisher. Uh, it's, this is called Gone by Jot. Words and art. Um, that's always a little sometimes worrisome when an artist also writes a book. Sometimes you get bad it's, stuff. It's two different skills. Yeah, but Jock, I think, proved himself last year when he did that uh, that Batman miniseries where like all the oh, all the power goes out in the city. That's right. Um, which I thought was excellent. Uh, this is a new book. It's, this one has a gorgeous cover by Peach, but it's called Gone. Now, I will say it is... We kind of talked about this the other day. It is an $8.99 cover price. Of course, you'll get 20% off here. And it is almost magazine. What is this size called? It's not magazine size. No, is it's it? magazine size. It is called it's magazine like size. Yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, it fits uh, no magazine. It's, it's, sim- it's similar to the what when DC would do the black label stuff. Okay, yep, yep. But the art in here uh, by Jock is just gorgeous. He really plays around with the more space that he has in the on the page. I think this is going to be a big book. Uh, like Phil. literally? <laughs> it's, it's oversized. Uh, but yes. no, that's a good choice. Um, so for mine this week, I'm going to go back and I'm going to kick it old school by old school. Oh. I mean, 1942, 41. Ooh, dang. Um, I'll have to check and see. But this is All-American Comics number 16. So the cool thing, it's a facsimile edition, which means it's an exact reprint of the original issue, ads, back cover, oh, wow. um, the whole nine yards. I think is it sea monkeys on the back? It has a five cent <laughs> Baby Ruth ad for Oh, wow. wow. 
Um, but the cool thing, the significant thing, significant thing about All American Comics 16 was that this was the very first appearance of Green Lantern. So when I say Green Lantern, I'm specifically talking about the Alan Scott Green Lantern. Mm, yeah. To you younger listeners, he was the original Green Lantern. So before there was a Hal Jordan, before there was a Kyle Rayner, a John Stewart, Guy Gardner, Alan Scott was the the very very first different Green weakness Lantern. too, not yellow. So he has a weakness to wood. Yeah, so he the, can the not, ring is powered completely yeah. differently. It's so magic based, correct. right? That, yes. That, yeah. So um, and that pairs well with that Adam Scott Green Lantern book that just came out, right? Alan Scott. Yes. Alan Scott. Yeah. yeah. That's I always like the facsimiles, uh, just that you can see the history inside them of the ads. So just to give you a fair warning, the Alan Scott story is only the first story. You also, as a bonus, receive a couple Mutton Jeff stories. Oh. And I think there's one with like a Classico cat or something. Mutt and Jeff must have been huge because there's two of them in that. Two Mutt and Jeff stories. <laughs> yeah. You guys got to go. I mean, you got to think back though. Back in the fort, back in the golden age, right? Comedy was king. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You know, it, was, it wasn't until Action Comics that suddenly the great superhero bonanza. Yeah. Took off. Mike. I picked up a little something last week here at the shop off the rack. I don't know how this went under my radar, but I'm glad I saw it when I was browsing Bill's rack. I'm a huge fan Ugh. of Sean. Whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Freezing. I'm Freezing. uncomfortable again. <laughs> I mean, I wear these low-cut shirts for a reason, right? I mean... We, uh, we've been talking horror comics, but now I'm actually scared. Yeah. <laughs> Bill has a big plentiful rack, and uh, he had a book on that the rack. The biggest rack in the business. And the biggest rack in the business, and that rack happened to have Sean Murphy's potholes on it last oh, week. Oh, that's right. And it caught yes. my eye. I, uh, I can be a little hesitant on completely independent imprints because I don't know if they're just going to vanish or disappear, but mm. I'm a, such a huge fan of Sean Murphy. I went ahead and picked up the first two issues uh, last week and read those, which has got me very excited for the third issue coming out this week, which is my pick. Sean Murphy's Plot Holes number three. It's a really cool idea. It's very disorienting at first. You're like, what is happening here? Yeah. But everything is well explained in the course of the first issue, and it's clever, it's creative. It calls back to some older... Some, I can't, I'm not, not going to discuss the plot, because once right. you unfold it and discover what's happening, it's really, really cool. Nice. It's got its uh, foot in uh, some some traditional novels, uh, the concept of, of writing books. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. But Sean Murphy, I love that guy. What a great, unique artist he is. Um, He's created an entire little Batman universe unto himself, right? Yeah, Murphy yeah. Yeah. which yep. is excellent oh for sure yeah. yeah Tokyo Ghost is what introduced me to him That's and I've right. been a huge fan ever since so uh, yeah plot holes number three Sean Murphy on nice. massive comics massive I'm, okay. I'm gonna butcher my pick okay it's giant robot Hellboy oh, oh just whoa. came out yeah. uh, <laughs> giant robot Hellboy um, not drawn by Magnola but still you've got Hellboy and you've got giant robots hmm. I'm there yeah you can't I don't need I don't, if, I, if that didn't sell you that, this is not the book for you. Yeah. Go with one of the other picks. No, <laughs> Mutt and Jeff. That seems nice, doesn't it, folks? <laughs> uh, and just another horror film, that, uh, horror book that started this week, Universal Monsters Dracula by Tinian. Oh. Yeah, so I think huh. each issue is going to focus on a different uh, one of the Universal Monsters. The first one, they start with Dracula. Yep. And I think it's going to be a Frankenstein, uh, Mummy. Yeah. It's going to be great, I think. Recommendations. Recommendations. Um, if you know me and right. you know what came out on Friday, then you know what my recommendation oh, yep, is going to yep. be. Uh, Spider-Man 2 for the PlayStation 5. Uh, I was um, going to say spicy Chipotle burrito Taco Bell. That's going to be the second guess. Wait a minute. Yeah. Doesn't Chick-fil-A have that pimento chicken yeah. sandwich? Oh, here we go. Oh, yes. So far, I've dodged pimento cheese, gentle listeners. Um, <laughs> but Spider-Man 2, uh, PlayStation 5. Uh, I'm not too far into it, but this mm -hmm. one you get to play as both Peter and Miles, and you can uh, drop in and out of each one at just like it's That's so quick cool. how fast it happens they each have their own set of moves mm -hmm. the storyline 
The story is so good. Uh, you definitely want to play Spider-Man 1 and Miles Morales Spider-Man before playing this one because the story oh, is an ongoing him? story. Okay. Um, and one thing they do in these games that Insomniac does is like the first game had a big opening with Kingpin. Mm-hmm. The second one had a big opening where you're trying to stop a rampaging rhino through a Christmas mall. And this one opens with the giant battle with, I'll save that for who it is. Uh, yes, thanks. Um, but it's incredible. And there was times where I was just sitting there going, this is the best game I've ever played in my life. So I heard it's going to be a very competitive year for, for game of the year. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. like four oh, or five whoa, games this year yeah. that are, that are yeah. top quality. Not long into it. I'm mm-hmm. been, I've been running around doing a lot of spot, side stuff. It's supposed to be the same length as the first, the first game. So about 20 hours to beat the story, 30 hours if you want to do all the side stuff. Right. I think it's worth it. I love this game. I will say that the very first Spider-Man game, the one preceding this on the uh, PlayStation 4, has one of my favorite Spider-Man stories of all media. Comics, wow. movies, shows, anything. It was fantastic. And this one seems like it's going to... The Miles Morales one is also good. Yep. It looks like they've got quality writers uh, doing the writing for these games. It's strange now that video games have writers. Isn't it weird? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. I don't think there was a writer on Asteroids. <laughs> or Pitfall. You know, I'm that not was sure. A, that was like a one... That was like Rocks are coming at you. Shoot them. Yeah. <laughs> like Pac-Man. Okay, gotta go fight them ghosts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bill. Fanagraphics has a uh, a great collection out called the uh, the Life and Legend of Wallace Wood. Okay. And so, if you are interested in uh, the history of a, a troubled uh, but creative genius um, who worked at pretty much all the major comic book companies. Uh, include, I think, did some work for Playboy, right? And they did was, work for them, uh, Thunder Agents. Thunder Agents, uh, Mad Magazine. It, you don't even have to like comics, just the, the, the life that this man led. Look, and, up, um, look up Wally Wood's 23 panels that work. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. a, that's a right. pretty that infamous a... thing in the art world, It's uh, especially in story, comic book storytelling. Uh, Wally Wood's uh, 23 panels that work, and I'm just going to say this, and if this, this should help sell it. One of his famous quotes is, if I had it, all to do over again, I would cut off my damn hands. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Mike. I'm going to double down on the theme of the night. Uh, there was a crossover that recently wrapped up just uh, about a month ago, I believe, and it's a Ghost Rider Wolverine crossover, Weapons of Vengeance, That's right. written by Ben Percy, who is a fantastic Wolverine writer. He's been killing on Wolverine for Absolutely. the last couple of years. And uh, same artist through the whole miniseries, which is cool. Nice. Uh, Jeff Shaw. It's only four issues. It's the perfect length for a nice little succinct crossover. Mm-hmm. You mentioned body horror earlier. There were times in this that I would just pause and be like, what? there has to be some kind of rating on this. This is gruesome. <laughs> yes. I mean, mutilations. Uh, they're both trying to track down serial killer that is killing mutants and it does some cool flashbacks to the original mansion era of wolverine and uh, that era of ghost rider uh, just body horror all over the place really creepy i don't feel like they were holding back at all it's very r-rated uh just a great great little mini series the characters really mesh so well together ghost rider right. wolverine particularly under this rider uh, it's gory it's high action fast-paced gruesome Nice, nice little Halloween miniseries. Uh, and you don't have to be a current reader of Wolverine and Ghost Rider. Not to at all. It. Not at all. It's I all think self-contained. It's self-contained. It yeah. yep. Weapons of Vengeance. Fred. Uh, if I was going to make a recommendation. Oh, you are going week. to. Sure. <laughs> you can't leave until you do. I haven't stopped talking yet. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to recommend a series that came out earlier. The trade's just recently been released. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Avengers War Across Time. Okay. It was a five-issue miniseries. Uh, the trade's out now. Paul Levitz, uh, famous for working oh, at DC. Cool. Yep. Alan Davis, just wow. a great classic wow. artist. And uh, if you're just looking for a fun Mm -hmm. throwback comic that's going to make you feel like you did when you first started reading comics, I can't brag on this book Hmm. enough. It's... It's great. There's these little si- little asides. Like there's a, in the first issue, they're fighting an android Hulk 
that's been sent huh. back by Kang. Okay. And uh, Captain America's running through the subway, and this little old woman's about to get crushed, and he throws his shield up, and he protects her, and she goes, oh, I wish my nephew Peter was here. Oh, oh, and, yeah. and Captain America just looks at her and goes, well, I'm sorry he's not man, but I, I hope I'll make do. Awesome. And so nice. there's these great little throwaways that huh. remind you of how lighthearted and yet fun and full of adventure the Marvel Universe used to be before everything was you know grim and gritty mm. yeah mm. sometimes you just need to take a deep breath I'm not not I mean we just <laughs> talked about a lot of horror comics but if you need to <laughs> clean the, if you need to clean the palette on, on November yeah. 1st right you know, that'd be a good time to sit down and read Avengers War Across Time. And nice. it's a five-issue mini? A, it was a five-issue miniseries. Oh. It's all out. There's a trade out right now. I think the trade's actually cheaper than buying the individual I issues. I think it is. Do but we it, have the trade? Uh, we can get it. Yeah, if not, can I can get, get it, it yeah. easily. Yeah. All right, perfect. His name is Bill. If I don't have it in the shop, <laughs> yeah. I'll get it. It's yeah. Yeah. I'm Ryan. I do this for a living. Yeah. And you took him to huh? Shoney's. <laughs> oh, yes, it was so good. Tell them about it. It was delicious. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been an educational episode. Yes. This has been a creepy episode. You got that right. Spooky. I'd like to thank our guest, the studious Fred Daly. Uh, we learned a lot today. The first of many visits. Indeed. It was my pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. I would like to just say one last message. Guys, collect what you want to read. Collect stories, not series. Support your local comic shop. And just be kind to everybody. It's yeah. rough out there as it is. Yeah. Awesome. Sure. I support yeah. It's a good that. message to go out on. Yeah. It is. I'm Mike D. I'm Ryan. I don't have an awesome message to go out on. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Bill. And this is our 31st podcast. 31st. Oh, 31st. Good night, yes. everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.